Pastor Mike McCoy, welcoming you to the Time of Truth. And so here I am, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Now, Bible students know when I go there, they're going, oh, oh my. I'll pull a Mike Blanton this morning and say, if you want to get saved, bit enough the gospel and the songs to come forward, get saved, I'll say this, and I'd be satisfied to shelve it for another time. Anybody coming? Yeah. Have a chance to come? Blanton doesn't have they come. He preached anyway, though. I bet you. I won't lie to you. If you come, we won't preach. 2 Samuel chapter number 12 and verse number 1. And my reading is lengthy today. You, I won't apologize for it. You just have to get it in context. Have you found that? Shout amen. amen. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler. That's what I'm preaching on this morning. There came a traveler. Unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd and to dress for the wayfaring man that was to come, that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And now, therefore, to the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. 
for thus didst it secretly, for thou did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Father, I love you. I thank you for this day, this time. Lord, I feel a spirit of hush fall on the congregation. We've rejoiced in the songs of Zion. We're thankful to be saved today. We need your guiding hand through this walk of salvation. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill my mouth and guard my tongue. You would preach me with accuracy inside the bounds of the Holy Writ. I pray that you'd touch the hearts in the house today. Lord, that we would see where we stand with our King and our Maker, the lost one that's gathered here. God, they're outside that ark of safety. Should you come this afternoon, they'll be left behind. God, let them know. Let them see the seriousness, the urgency of the matter. Let them come even now, Lord Jesus, and call on your name. And the saint of God today, Lord, that may be entertaining the traveler, I pray that you'd help them today. We'd set our houses in order. God, the power and the joy of thy salvation be restored. And I'll give you glory for it all. And I ask it in my king's name, Jesus. Amen. And amen. There came a traveler. This is one of the saddest stories in the Old Testament. We go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We're going to find the setup for this chapter. This one, maybe six, seven, eight months tops past the time that the sin of David has taken place. David, when the time come that men and kings ought to be at war, David found himself lagging behind. When he should have been doing one thing, he was doing something else. When God would have had him, he's given the armies. He's given the ability. He's given the attitude of war. There's never been a warrior like David. His name struck fear in the heart of the Philistines. They knew that they shouldn't come against David. But David had sent out Joab. And David's wandering around on the top of his roof. Looking out when he should have been fighting a battle. Christian, today there's no time to be walking around on the roof. Looking side to side, left to right. We need to be about the battle of the Lord. There's never been a more urgent time in the history of the church than we have today to be about the Father's business. We are in critical, critical times right now. The unsaved are on the road to perishing and being overcome. And when the church is gone, America will turn its back on Israel. Not where he should be. Where are you? Where are you? Are you where you should be? It's not always easy to be where you should be. I'm going down the road I didn't know I was going down this morning. Sometimes we, sometimes God draws us into something. And we say, we, 
I don't understand this. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. I don't know why I'm battling what I'm battling. But here I am. Don't give up on God. He's not give up on you. Are you where you need to be? I'm not talking about being lost. I'm talking, I'm talking about the warrior of God being on the battlefield, on the front line, occupied till I come. Do your work. Are you still with me? So David doesn't do it and he gets in trouble. And we see David commits a terrible sin. Terrible sin. Here's the way it begins. I'm going down this road. Here's the way it begins. It begins with a look. It always begins with a look. Even when the enemy whispers in our heart, he gets us to look at same tactics he used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. He used on us today. It begins with a look. The look begins, the look turns into lust. Now, what you lust over isn't always sexual. But it can be sexual. But it's not always sexual. We can lust after a lot of things and not be sexual. Listen, and we lust after this or that or whatever. Positions, money, fame, popularity. We lust, we begin to, we look and we say, that looks good, I need that, that's what I need to do. But then we begin to lust after that thing. And lust begin with, then we begin to lay with that thing. And when lust is conceived, it brings more sin, and sin's finished, it brings more death. And David's about to get that firsthand in his own family. So here's David, six, seven pops, eight months down the road, he thinks he's got away with this thing. David has forgotten who it is that put him where he's at. Child of God, you didn't put yourself where you are today on your own accord. You was blessed of God to be put where you are today. Can you believe, my Kramer, that God would put you and me in his family today? My word, here we are in the family of God. I'm somebody today. Hey, not on my natural side, but on my spiritual side, I'm somebody. Hey, hallelujah, I belong to the king. Amen. Here's David now. Moses had already said it. Be sure yourself, find you out. Find family out. You're saying, if you, if you say no, you're lying because the word of God can't lie. And it said it'll do it. It'll find us out. And we reap what we sow. God's not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We sow the flesh, we reap corruption. We sow the spirit, we reap the life of everlasting. David's in a bad place. I want to see four things about this today. It's 20 minutes till, and I can preach this in 20 minutes. I probably won't, but I could. First, in the context of this verse, the characters that we have in this verse, we have, a, we have a preacher, we have a rich man, we have a poor man, then we have a traveler. We have the lamb that's included in this, which is which he's referring to as Bathsheba. But I'm gonna I'm gonna include her with with the villain today and not the victim. I'll share more on that in a moment. But first, I want us to consider the victim of this parable. You know, this is one of only, I think, three, if I remember correct. Now, I could be wrong. But it's one of very few, I'll say that be accurate. It's one of very few parables in the Old Testament. 
Now, Jesus used them all the time. But the Old Testament, not so much. They're pretty straight out in the Old Testament. He got straight when he said, thou art the man. Are you still with me? Somebody said, what did your preacher say? I read this other day. What does your preacher say often? And I, would, I thought to myself, I say, are you still with me? You know why I say that? Because I want to know. I'm waiting for the time when somebody said, no, I'm not with you. I'm going to say that's the most honest man in the building. Because I can look and tell. I've <laughs> been doing it too long. I want us to consider the victim. He's the poor man. He's a Hittite. He is not a Hebrew. He is, and it depends on, like Gordon says often, depend on who you read after, who you study after. Old theologians of years past that some say they were, they were uh, uh, Assyrian or Syrians that had migrated over and they were hired mercenaries of David. And how many knows a mercenary is a pretty bad guy? He can fight and he likes to fight and he ain't afraid of dying. But we have this Uriah the Hittite. Cal Ray preached a message on him one time. One of the top five I've ever heard on Uriah the Hittite. I won't, but I'm going to use a piece of that this morning. Uriah the Hittite was this. Though he wasn't a Hebrew, he was faithful to his commander-in-chief. He was faithful to the commander-in-chief. He was faithful to his wife. He was faithful to his other army men or those in the service with him. He was a faithful man. When David gave him opportunity to go and spend the weekend with his wife uh, on leave or furlough, whichever, he, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. The army of God's camped out out there in the wilderness fighting. I'm not going to take pleasure in my life when my comrades are out there in risk of their life. I'm not going to do it. That doesn't sound like Americans today. And he lost his life because of his faithfulness. He's a victim. He not only loses his life, but he loses his wife because of his faithfulness. He's a victim. I watched a small clip. Someone, it's an old movie of yesteryear, so the 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 the. the Special effects and all that stuff they have nowadays wasn't very much. But it showed when Huss, John, John Huss, was burned at the stake. And it showed his speech as they was about to set the frigates on fire. And I thought, what a man of God right there. They said, all you got to do, Brother Huss, is recant and we won't set this wood on fire. He went into about a five-minute dissertation there on the gospel and poured it out on them and said, do what you got to do. I'm not backing up now. Cost him his life. It cost Uriah his life because he done that which was right. It cost him his wife. He could have, he could have, he could have went and stayed with her. If he'd have done what David tried to get him to do, this thing would have been swept under the rug. No telling. Still had a bad outcome, but for a temporary time, he'd have been all right. No, he's not going to do it. I tell you why. You know what he didn't lose? His testimony. He never lost it. You know what they still say about Uriah? When you come into the genealogy of Jesus, when you're coming down the right, you know what it says about Solomon's mama? She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
So there's a, the old Hittite, praise God. This will make a Baptist shout. There's the old Hittite who wasn't even connected to the family by the bloodline. He's in the lineage. Got an honorable mention. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you'd have done anything different, he wouldn't have got that honorable mention in the New Testament. The victim. I want us to see the villain. There's the poor man. There's the rich man. Who's the rich man here? It's David. Here's the man. Hey. Listen to me real close this morning. God sent this to somebody and it's you. Somebody got mad at me and left this church and never come back because they said, you aimed that at me. I said, you got that right. <laughs> then he was all upset because I said, I, done it. I said, it aimed it at you and everybody else in the room. Why do you think God sent the letter for me to read it? And David's a man after God's own heart. You better take heed lest you fall. You are susceptible to the fall. David's a man after God's own heart. And he's the villain in this story. Now he's up on the roof walking around. Dr. Thigpen taught us 20-something years ago in a Bible Institute. I don't know how long ago it's been, been a long time. He said this in Bible Institute. He said, David wasn't the only guilty one that day. Bathsheba knew where his house was. She knew the king wasn't at war. Everybody knew when the king wasn't at war. She knew where his house was. There's a whole lot of river over there other than in front of David's house. And she's saying, she'd have made front page news in America. Look at me. I am bathing and I am clean. And the king's out on the roof where he shouldn't have been. And because he's where he shouldn't have been, instead of being the man after God's own heart, which that never changed, he still was. I'll show you that in a minute. But he was in a place where he should have never been. And he saw her. And he looked. And he lusted. And he lay. Now, it's been set upon him and his entire family. Because of this thing, he's going to live with it the rest of his life. Hey, listen, I know who I'm preaching to here this morning. I know this is a G-rated audience. But I'm going to say it just like this. 20 minutes of pleasure has cost people 20 years of, 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 of persecution and problems all their life. And it happens, it happens every day. You young people listen to this old preacher good. It'll cost you. The sword never left his house. He had to deal with this all his days. Amnon died. Absalom died. Tamar got raped. Donijah died. They just kept dying. Till he finally got to Solomon and then he lost his mind at the end. The villain. So that can't ever happen to me. Oh, yeah, it can. You know what happened? David became uncommitted. David became, listen to me. Members, I've had several people want to join this church of late, and I, I commend you for that. I thank you for it. You need, if you're going to serve here, if you're going to serve here, not if you're going to attend, and you can attend all you want, and I will not push you to become members. I will not. 
That's between you and God. I don't know your heart. I don't know your vineyard. I know my vineyard. You know your, but if you come to me and say you want to join this church, I'm asking you for a commitment when you do it. And you know what that means? When we're having church, I'm looking for you to be in your place. That's what I'm looking for. To be in your place. I'm not talking about if you're out, if you're out preaching, whatever, doing ministry, but you'll at least have courtesy to call me and let me know. So don't worry to you in the hospital. But I'm expecting, there's an expectation. Otherwise, don't join, just keep on attending. I'll never say anything to you. You can come and go as you please. Why do you say that, preacher? Because I'm going to ask three things of you when you join. I'm going to ask you if you're willing to support this church to the best of your ability with your time. Number two, with your talent. And number three, with your ties. That's our expectation here for you to join this army in this thing. Oftentimes, after we come, we get used to the biscuits. David got used to having the biscuits. He forgot where he'd come from and what God had done for him. He forgot about the boy that stepped out on the battlefield that day when nobody else would and slung that stone and knocked that giant slap out and he cut his stinking head off. He forgot about that boy that's on the back 40 and the bear showed up and he slew him and the lion. He forgot about that boy that slew the Philistines when Saul asked for 100, he killed 200. He forgot about what God had done for him. He's on the roof walking around. Somebody here today's walking around on the roof. Uncommitted. And then he became uncontented. Paul said, be content with such things as you have. I've decided, Clay, when God, when I need something else, he'll give it to me. But until then, I'm satisfied with where I'm at. And this may he may, this may be where I am and where you are. This is it. And if that's it, just keep occupying till I come. Now the question, are you still with me? Are you content? Are you committed? It's big. It's big. Where you at, David? Well, not committed to the war like I was. I'm not committed to the fight like I was. I'm not committed to the ministry like I was. If God called you to preach, don't turn down appointments. Somebody got on me because I went and preached for the Pentecostals. I said, that's got news for you, my friend. If St. Alphonse, the Catholics, give me an invitation, I'm showing up. They ain't never seen nothing like this, but I'm going. What are you going to do? I'm going to tell him about get him off the cross. He isn't there. I was in a free world Baptist church. They had, a, they had a big crucifix up on the wall. I'm preaching revival. The offering was low that week. I said, I don't know who's got him in here on that cross, but you need to get rid of that thing. He's not on the cross. Matter of fact, I don't know where I've been back there, but... There you go. The villain. You see how easy it is to go from being the one after God's own heart to 
falling in the place of a villain, getting somebody killed, whether it's not naturally, but spiritually, say something that'll put a dagger in their heart. It's good preaching. We'll have a hallelujah time tonight. The villain. Then I want to see the visitor. Who's that? That's the traveler. Did you know that in Old Testament days, and it's still honored in some places in the Middle East today, do you know that in Old Testament days there was a thing called the law of hospitality? And the law of hospitality said even if your enemy shows up in distress, you have to feed him and give him sustenance and give him water and enable him to get well enough to fight you again. Now that's some reasoning. I would think while he's down, put a knife in his heart. Then you're done with the enemy. But that's not the law of hospitality. Not only that, it says after you fed him and give him water, you have to give him so much time to get away. I forgot what it was. I read it yesterday. There's a period of time you have to give him to get away. That's why Billy said in his song, The Shepherd, and all the enemy can do is watch me eat. That's why he put that line in there. The visitor shows up. Listen. In those days, he didn't need an invitation. Can I tell you, he doesn't need one. If you give him a place, he'll show up. And the Bible said, Paul said, the apostle to the Gentiles said, give no place to who? The devil. Now some say this is a temptation. That he's, and, but I, I could say yes to that. But I, I believe in my, because of, the, because of the vernacular here and the way it's written, I believe it's speaking to an individual who shows up at the rich man's house. The invitation. We give place to the devil. When Wednesday night's not important anymore, When Sunday night, when Sunday night's not a priority, you give in place. This is good preaching. Praise God. You better know. You better know what the enemy's after. He just shows up. Listen, you give him an invitation. How do I do that? By not being where I need to be. I've already lost some of you, but God, you'll have to answer the Lord. There he is, the invitation. And then the, it goes from an invitation to this, influence. Now, now, I'm being influenced. Why? By his very presence. By his presence. Because in that day, you had to feed him if he showed up. We're not under the law of hospitality today. We're under grace. And grace, I can't find where grace said, here's what it said about grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I've got the grace that gives me the ability to stand. I've got the grace that gives me the ability to escape. I've got the grace that gives me the ability to kick the devil out of the room. Just kick him out. You can't do that. Well, Scripture says I can. You know what Scripture says? Resist the devil. And then what, Jimmy? 
He'll flee from you. How do I have the ability to do that? By the grace of God. So even if he shows up uninvited, I do not have to be influenced by what he wants me to do. We see the victim. We see the villain, David and Bathsheba, I believe. We see the visitor. There came a trap. I'm not the only guy in this room that the traveler shows up at your house. He shows up in conversations. He shows up. He shows up. I'm going to use Brother Buddy. Of course, yeah, right there he is. I'm going to use Brother Buddy. Buddy said he asked me for a treatise book a long time ago. He said, and I, I just haven't got one. I've given one to one or two people. Gave one to James. And I've given one to Buddy. Somebody else asked me for one. You can remind me and I'll give it to you. And he said, the devil told me, he said, they must not want you to join. Mike won't give you that book. Well, that's how the devil works. You, do you know how you combat that? You come to Mike and say, hey, do you want me to join this church? And I'll say, if you think this is where you need to be. And he'll say, well, where's that book he promised me? And I'll go, I forgot all about it. Forgive me. Here's your book. But unless we interrupt him... The devil influences us and says, hey, no need to go back. That bunch don't care nothing about you. You know what that is? That's pride saying, I take precedence over every person in that building. Because there's a whole lot more than one in here. And Randy and I have gotten old. We didn't mean to, but we did. And some of you have gotten old with us. Then let's look at the verdict. What's the verdict? I want you to get this today. The verdict was this according to the law. Leviticus 20 for adultery, Leviticus 24 for murder. I may have that backwards. Could be 20 for murder, 24 for adultery. Those two chapters cover. And in those chapters, here's what it says. You should take stones and you take David out and kill him. And you take Bathsheba out and you kill her. And if adultery isn't good enough to kill him for, then David, you're going to get killed for doing the murder. We're going to take you out and kill you with rocks. You know what that meant? That meant you go to somebody. I won't mess Bubba's hair up, so I'll do this. You went out. You got them there. You put your hand on their head. That condemns them. And then after you put your hand on your head, and there they are bound up, you step back a step or two and take what we call a chunk rock. Who flung the chunk, brother? We're talking about a chunk rock. And you take that thing and you bash him right in the head, man. Face to face, just like this. Because you broke the law of God, you've got to die. And if you don't die, then the guilt falls on us and everybody's guilty, just like with Achan. We've got to kill this guy and get the sin out of the camp. The verdict was death. And that's probably the bravest prophet in the Bible right there. Because he looked David right in the eyeball and the king, how many knows the king's court was never empty? There was always somebody around him to keep him safe. He crawls in there with his army and said, you're the man. I remember when Junior Gardner was preaching over an old sanctuary. 
It's been 30 years. Dusty's 39. It's been 30 or 31 years ago. And I was as backslid on God as you could get. They asked Cal Ray, said, do you believe in backsliding? He said, oh, they said, your church believe in backsliding? He said, oh, yeah, half of them practice it. <laughs> That's what Cal said. And I'd come on up. If we had a good group singing like these guys, I'd show up. Or had a big dinner day. Hey, don't, don't miss, I'd show up on dinner day. They could cook, you girls can still cook. I'm telling you. Junior got up to preach. My son had gotten saved under him, and I missed my son's salvation. I missed it. Why? I wasn't on my post. I wasn't at my post. I wasn't where God wanted me to be. Should have been there, too. That's why I'm so dead set on leaving college for the Lord. I missed it the first time. I ain't missing it the second time. I'm going to get that grand boy. If they tell me he got saved in the church, I'm going to be terribly upset. <laughs> so he shouldn't be upset about that. I won't be upset. He got saved. I'll be upset. I wasn't there. I'm praying, God, let me be the one to do it. I want to do it. And Junior Gardner, my hero, preached, have you fallen off your camel? Your camel, a bride for Isaac and the Holy Ghost pointed his finger in my nose and said, you're the man. And I knew it. I'm so glad God pointed that out to me. Our life would have been so much worse had I not yielded to that. Oh, I believe I'd still stumbled into heaven eventually, but I'd been smelling like smoke when I got there. Because everything I had had burned. There I was. God spoke to me. I said, God, if this is you speaking to me, you let somebody else go to the altar. And about that time, Junior said, Somebody come and pray with this girl. And I slid under the altar, ran over. I said, where I stand, the praise, where this isn't coincidence. Where I stand in the prayer room now is where I sit in that chair 30 years ago. 31, whatever it was. And there I was. And I slid under that altar and I said, God, do you remember me? Do you remember me? He said, oh, yeah. I remember you. As the traveler come by, you don't know the best part of this story? Did David have to deal with stuff the rest of his life? You better know he did. Did it cost him? Oh, yeah. Do you know what the Bible says right here in verse number 13? It said, thou shalt not die. And that's not talking about physically. That's a spiritual death. How do you know that? Because David penned Psalm 51 after this. And he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He said, purge me with hyssop. He said, let me repent and turn around that sinners might be converted. That's old David pinning this. David knew what had happened. David knew what he was pinning when he pinned Psalm 51. We don't have it all right here, but we got it in the song that he wrote. He said, this is me. You guys do me a minute.
do me something soft and low so they can hear me. I love working with these folks. You know what we see here? We see, the, we see this. We see David's penance. And when we see that, we see the punishment removed because we see the pardon of God all in that story right there. I'm going to tell you, whatever you've been involved in, if you confess it before God, and that means tell him what it is. That don't mean say, God, forgive my sin. That means if you're a liar, tell him, say, God, I've lied. That means if you've lusted after something, you tell him, say, God, I've lusted after this. He knows it, but he wants you to hear it. The only way you're going to hear it is to say it. And when you say it, you hear it. And when you hear it, God forgives it because he said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go ahead, guys. Let's stand to our feet. Pastor Mike McCoy, thanking you for joining us at the time of truth.